Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, so today we are finishing a um, kind of several week long uh, conversation on the parables of Jesus. And um, when I get to the end of these things, so we usually walk through a, a topic or an idea or a section of scripture. And usually when I get to the end of these conversations, um, I just feel really grateful to you um, because I've said some things over the last few weeks and some of them are challenging and I've shared about things that I'm changing my mind about or things I'm wrestling with and none of you um, yelled at me about any of that. And sometimes it just always feels like such a gift, uh, a surprising gift. It shouldn't be a surprise to me anymore, um, but I have been in church environments where I wouldn't have been allowed to say the things that I get to share with you as open and honestly as I do. And so thank you for letting me do that. Um, and so we're at the end of this look at the parables of Jesus that uh, we've been talking every week about these parables not being uh, a dictionary definition for God or for truth. They're more like a poem uh, or a song, and they give us kind of new eyes to see the world, see God. They, they open our eyes in a new way. And today we're going to look at um, one of, if not the most popular story in the Bible. It's the parable of the prodigal son, uh, or it, it, if you're looking at a physical copy of the Bible today. You're not, but if you were, um, it might say uh, the parable of the lost son or the story of the lost son. And um, today I'm really hoping that we have a, a conversation. I want to invite you in uh, to repentance. You guys excited for that? No, uh, that's okay. So um, when I hear the word repent or repentance, I think of signs like this. And that's kind of uh, where my, it's really what my body tells me <laughs> repentance is about, more than even my brain, that I think it's about uh, hell and sin and bad behavior, right? Stop behaving badly or you're going to go to hell. Um, and so in general, I have kind of a negative connotation for this word repent, and that makes sense if you do too. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so today, together, we're going to repent. You guys ready? We'll make our signs after church at the members meeting. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so our, our repentance journey today is rooted in this famous Jesus from parable, the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. And this story uh, sits in Luke 15 after a couple of other stories about lost things. And you may know them, but if you don't, that's okay. So in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story of, uh, where he kind of supposes that any good shepherd would leave a flock of 99 sheep to go find the one lost one. And he, then he tells a story about a woman who loses like one single coin and tears apart her entire house looking for that one single coin until she finds it. And Jesus says about both of these uh, parables that in heaven there is great rejoicing when one person repents. And those two stories about searching and finding, about losing something and then finding it are, are kind of the introduction into this really famous story, the parable of the prodigal son. And you probably know at least some of it, but Jesus tells the story about a man with two sons, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son asks for his share of the inheritance uh, before the father dies. It's not, not a super kind thing to do, but the father agrees and he gives the, son, the younger son presumably presumably a, a lot of money, and um, the younger son leaves, 
So it's not just, I, I want this money. It's, I want it and I'm leaving our family. The younger son takes the money and almost immediately squanders the wealth, is what it says in a lot of uh, Bible translations. Uh, this younger son, he ends up feeding pigs. And even though he's presumably a, a practicing Jew, he wants to eat the same food the pigs are eating. That's how hungry he is. They're just kind of a way to show us uh, how dire his situation is. And then this younger son, uh, it says he comes to his senses and he decides that he'll go back to his father. And he uh, even plans a big apology speech. Maybe you've done this in your mind before when you're um, you know, working through some conflict. You kind of plan out anyone with some high anxiety. You're like, yes, I plan exactly how it's going to go. So he plans out his apology speech. And um, this is his apology speech to his dad. Uh, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you and I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he, he kind of writes this in his head, and after he has this whole plan and his apology speech written, uh, this is what it says in Luke chapter 15. So he, this younger son who squandered the wealth, got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, the, the father, and your, the servant said, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. This is also a good example of how the Bible is so much different than our life. We try to make it exactly the same, but no one ever complained to their parents, like, you never slaughtered a goat for me. Uh, sorry. Uh, but when this son of yours, says the older son, uh, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So this is, um, everybody knows this story because it's, a, it's just a good story. It's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful, true story. And there's a lot of goodness in it. Uh, and Jesus says, this is what God's kingdom is like. This is how God chooses to organize God's desired world, like a family. Which that alone is just good news. That's a good thing to know about. That God isn't organizing God's kingdom like a Fortune 500 company. God may not be a capitalist. Don't tell anybody I said that, okay? Just keep it right here. It's a family where no matter what, even if you make a really hurtful error of asking you know, a, a parent for your inheritance before they die, and then you end up wasting all the money away almost immediately, even if you make an error like that, you can always return home. You're always welcome. Right? The kingdom, the way God wants to organize God's world, is a place where you are fully embraced, no matter what, where you are already forgiven. And that's good news. 
That alone is good news, that the kingdom of God is like a family where we are always welcome, where we are fully embraced, and we are already forgiven. I'm in. I like that kind of kingdom. I like it way better than a Fortune 500 company. The invitation today, though, is not just to hear that and know it, and I want you to know that, and I want you to trust that, that God is organizing God's world in such a way that you are always welcome and that you are already forgiven. But the invitation, really, of this section of passages from Jesus is not just to hear it, but to uh, repent. Repentance is the invitation of Luke 15. And I know that repentance isn't a fun word, and we read repentance with these connotations of hell and sin and bad behavior. And we mostly hear repent because that's how people mean it when they hold those signs in the street as um, act differently, behave. That's that's really what people could um, find and replace on their repent signs. Behave. Behave. God is coming. When people say repent, the kingdom is near, they mean you need to start acting different. God's mad at you. But that's not really what um, repentance means at all. Uh, Repent in the New Testament, it's this Greek word metanoia, and it means to change our minds. And it's the word Jesus uses over and over and over again uh, for trying something new, rethinking an old set of beliefs, changing your mind. So Jesus says, the kingdom of God is here. Change your mind. Not act different, not, not you need to behave, not God is mad at you. Change your mind, God is already within you. Ooh, okay. Repent, change your mind, start something new, rethink your old way of being. And in this famous story, it's this son who goes and he takes this inheritance and he squanders his wealth and he's feeding pigs and he's uh, thinking about what it was like to be back at home and he has a moment of repentance. He comes to his senses, is the phrase it uses. That he's repenting. He, He repents, changes his mind about his home and about his father. He changed his mind about his dad, and he thinks, you know what, I do actually want to be home, and I think my dad will accept me. It took him a long time to get there. Like, he's literally starving before he realizes, I think my father would accept me if I went home. That's a repentance. That's a changing of mind. He said, I I think my dad would welcome me home. But then the son returns to the father. And the father is even more loving than the son expects. So the son has this apology speech that we read. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you, but I am no longer uh, worthy to be called your son. There was more to the speech. The rest of it was make me like one of your hired servants. But the father cuts off the apology speech. You hear when the son says, I am not worthy, the father pauses him and says, bring the best. He doesn't let him finish because it wasn't a necessary apology. The son already was forgiven by the father. And the father says, no, you don't have to finish that whole apology. Just bring the clothes, bring everything you need. Let's have a party. And so you have to imagine that the son first had this repentance that said, okay, I'm going to change my mind. I think I would be welcomed home. And then the father stops the apology speech and the son repents again changes his mind again because the father is even more loving, even more generous than he had originally imagined. He says, okay. 
And then the father says, uh, actually, don't just bring him a robe, bring him sandals. Okay, repent again. God is even more, the father is even more generous, even more loving than I previously imagined. And then the father in the story says, let's kill a fattened calf and let's have a party. And this younger son must have once again had to change his mind even more because every word that came out of this father's mouth was even more generous than the son had originally imagined. It was a repentance on top of a repentance on top of a repentance. It was just changing his mind over and over and over again because his view, this younger son of his father, just kept expanding, right? Started in one way. I wonder if he'll accept me when I come home. And then it just kept getting bigger. Every time he encountered the father, the father's love and generosity just got bigger. And the father in this story, the father is the consistent kind of uh, presence in the story, just overwhelmingly generous, right? His son comes to him and says, can I have all my inheritance early? And the father says, yes, that's a surprise. Yes, overwhelmingly generous. When he uh, comes back, he says, let's have a party, overwhelmingly generous and loving. When the, when the older son complains and says, dad, I've always been here. The father says, everything I have is yours. Don't, don't you haven't, did you not get that already? I'm so sorry. Everything I have is yours. And every time we encounter God, every word we hear from God, every time we experience divine love in any way, we should be repenting again and then again and then again. Repentance isn't something that happens when we first find out about this, ma this uh, majestic story of love and grace. Uh, repentance is this perpetual over and over again practice that we say every time I encounter God, my imagination of God gets bigger because every word I hear from God is even more loving and more generous than I had previously imagined. If your view of God is getting smaller, it's not God. Every time we encounter God, our understanding of God should be expanding. God just keeps being revealed to us as more good, more beautiful, more generous. It's the only consistent in the story uh, in this, in Luke 15, and in the story of the Bible. We just learn more about God, and God keeps getting more good, more beautiful, more generous. God has never gotten smaller, more exclusive. God is only ever bigger and more expansive. And so our invitation then is to repent and repent again and repent again and repent again. Just keep changing our mind. And I want to just share, I want to take a moment and just share uh, personally for a minute about one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways that I have repented in the last few years. This is testimony time. Since we're talking about repentance, I thought I should share testimony. So um, for me, there were groups of people that I had long imagined for most of my life that I imagined to be sinful and lost. When I heard this story about a lost son, I had whole groups of people that I imagined to be lost. And I even used phrases like lost people. And um, for me in particular, for most of my journey, this is how I viewed the LGBTQ community. That I would think to myself and maybe even say out loud, well, of course, if they um, repented, then God would welcome them back with open arms. And that's how I imagined it to be, that there was a group of people that needed to change their behavior, that God was saying, behave. And if you behave correctly, then you can come back into my family. That's how I had 
conceptualized all of this, that if bad people stopped being bad, then they were welcome. Um, but then this amazing thing started happening where I made some LGBTQ friends that offered me kindness and hospitality, even though I did not deserve it. And they told me their stories about exclusion and pain and resilience and hope. And some, some of you are here, and it's hard for me to look at you because you helped me repent over and over and over again. And what I realized is that all those bad people that I had imagined, they were never lost. They never needed to repent. In fact, most of them had a much larger and more expansive and more beautiful and more generous view of God than I ever had. In fact, most of them never left the presence of God. I really, as I imagine this story, I, I really think that LGBTQ folks in particular have long acted as the older brother in this story, faithfully remaining with God, and occasionally having to be reminded by God that even though small-minded people like me get a big party when I return back, that everything God, God has is theirs. The work of repenting and returning back to a generous and expansive God is required work for those of us who have ever excluded or discriminated in the name of God. I'll just say it again. The work of repenting, of changing our minds, of turning back to God is required work if you, like me, have ever excluded or discriminated in the name of God. When I used God, the name of God, which is in fact using God's name in vain, by the way, when I leveraged God to exclude other people, I was the lost son. I was the one feeding pigs, small-minded and self-righteous. Not my LGBTQ friends that, yeah, were mad that I got to have the party, as they should be, but everything they had always Everything God had always belonged to them. And the, the people that we think of as lost, as sinners, as other, uh, they aren't the ones lost. It's, it's really us. It's time to repent. If you are othering anyone in the name of God, it's time to repent. If you are excluding in the name of God, it's time to repent. If you are marginalizing any group of people because you think God told you so, it wasn't God. You're using God, leveraging God, using God's name in vain for your own agendas, like I have. But it's time to repent, to change your mind, and then to do it again and again and again. Because every time we encounter God, we will find that God is even more inclusive, even more loving, even more generous and more beautiful than we had imagined before. Repent. Change your mind and believe that the kingdom of God is like a family where everyone is welcome and they're uh, already forgiven and they're fully embraced. Repent and believe that God is even better than you've ever imagined. So for you, what would uh, repentance look like for you? I don't think it starts by you saying, what bad behaviors do I need to change? I don't think that's the story. I think the question for us today is, what part of our understanding of God do we need to repent of? 
in what way have we limited God's love? In what way are we the ones boxing God in? And maybe you've done some changing of your mind. I know a lot of you, and I know you have. But what would it look like to keep going? Because a lot of us take a step, and that first step is really important. To say, I used to think this, but now I believe this. And then we stand right here and we go, I guess I'm right now. <laughs> used to be wrong, now I'm right. What would it look like to just keep going? To say, how might I repent again and again and again? Because wherever you are today, you're wrong about some stuff. I'm wrong about some stuff. And that's okay. But we can't build a new fundamentalism like the one we used to have and say, now I'm 100% right and everything outside of here is wrong. And we look back at our uh, old church friends and we say, one day they're going to learn. We need to repent again and again and again. And when you think of God, I wonder if you have imagined that God needed to change God's mind about you. This is a phrase we use every week. We come to the table and we say, God has never needed to change God's mind about you, but we may need to change our minds about God. That's our invitation at communion. Because this is the story that a lot of us were given, that Jesus came on a mission from God to change God's mind about humanity. That when God looked at humanity, God thought, man, you know, these guys keep messing up and I'm so mad. Their sacrifices are all wrong. So I'm going to send my son to die, and then if they believe correctly about this crucifixion and resurrection, then when I look at humanity, I won't be mad at them anymore. And we think that Jesus came to change God's mind about us, but God has never needed to repent of his view of you. God is the one consistent in the whole story. God has one posture towards humanity, and it is love and kindness and generosity. The story is that Jesus comes to change our minds about God, that Jesus tells these stories, these parables, to show us that God is better and bigger and more expansive than we thought before. And so maybe for you, your repentance just needs to start by saying, you know, I don't think God ever needed to change God's mind about me. God has always loved me. God has already forgiven me. God is waiting at the gates for me to return every time I leave. And then for you, um, who do you imagine to be lost and sinful? Now, you have a, I think for a lot of us, we have a group we used to think of as lost. And again, we've repented of that. But now we might have a new group of people. And I wonder if there's any chance that those people that you think of as lost and sinful aren't so lost and sinful. It's easy and it's routine and it's almost natural for us to other people. I think we especially other groups of people that we used to associate with as a way to comfort ourselves. We kind of say, I'm not like that anymore. I don't have to deal with that anymore. But we do it a lot um, with folks that we just shouldn't. We do it with the poor. We, we think somewhere in us that they've misbehaved into poverty, even if we wouldn't say it out loud, maybe. But that's how we're conceptualizing it somewhere. Folks with disabilities, we just other. And maybe for you, maybe it used to be LGBTQ folks, but it's not really anymore, but maybe there's some other group of people. But it's in our othering 
that we become the lost sons and daughters. Every time we other, we're lost. And so the invitation today is to repent, to change our mind, and to do it again and again and again. Because every time we encounter God, we find that divine love is even more inclusive, even more expansive, even more beautiful than we've ever previously imagined. If God is getting smaller, it's not God. Uh, There was an article that came out uh, a few years ago now about a couple in Wichita uh, that eats at their local Texas roadhouse six days a week, every week of the year. Some of you are like, I wonder what Josh does during the week. This is it. This is it. Does that sound good to anybody, by the way? No. Okay. I was really hoping someone would be like, yeah, Texas Roadhouse. Uh, They've done it for 15 years. That's a long time. Uh, They have the math worked out and the timing just right, so they go for like the early bird special, and they, they share one big plate of food, and it costs the same amount every day, and they bring the exact amount of cash plus the tip every day, and they have it ready. It's a whole thing. Uh, This gentleman, his name is Ron, he actually suffered a heart attack at the Texas Roadhouse. Some of you were like, yeah. Um, He he took two days off, and his wife snuck in Texas Roadhouse while he was in the hospital. Like, this is their deal. And um, the article said this about the couple. Uh, It said, It does not get old for them because they believe in the comfort of sameness. Which I think for some of us does feel comfortable. But my fear fear is that for a lot of us, uh, the comfort of sameness would be like the title of our religious memoir. That we would say, I'm religious because it's comfortable. And the sameness of it is so easy. And really, I'm afraid that one day, when our LGBTQ friends ask us, by the way, it's our LGBTQ friends and coworkers and family members, even if you don't know about them, they exist. And I'm afraid that one day, when those LGBTQ folks ask us why we allow the name of God to be used as leverage to exclude and marginalize them, that we'll have to say, well, I believed in the comfort of sameness. And when people of color inevitably ask white Christians like me why we allowed Christian nationalism to be used as a not-so-subtle Trojan horse of white supremacy and racism, we'll have to say some version of, well, I believed in the comfort of sameness. Our religious experiences, your religious experience must, it is required work for us to expand and grow, to change our mind. It is required We are made to do more than settle for the comfort of sameness. So just hear this invitation today. Repent. God is good. Full stop. Repent. God loves you. No fine print. Repent. You are included in the family of God. No bait and switch. Repent and then repent again, and then repent again. Every time you experience divine love, it will, it should be even more beautiful and inclusive and generous than the time before. And so gather, this is my prayer for us today. 
Embrace the reality that you have been wrong about a lot. And you've been wrong about God. But your mistake has always and only been underestimating the goodness and generosity and love of God. And so today, expand and grow and repent again and again. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.